sing our opening you sing over our opening song oh dude that's like and i try to match it up so that it it sounds like it complements each other well welcome i do my best well welcome to the lanky guys and where we promote dissonance and we are the lanky guys welcome to the word on the hill i mean can you welcome someone to yourself i I guess you can isn't that kind of covenantal isn't that kind of what we do yeah welcome to me welcome (laughs) (laughs) well welcome to the podcast dude i who are you? I'm Scott Powell. I'm Father Peter Mosset. Sweet. Dude, I um I was talking to somebody and they were like, Oh yeah. Father, I, I tried to listen to you a long time ago and uh and To the podcast yeah, or like a homily? To the podcast. Okay. And and they were like, dude, we couldn't we couldn't do it. I mean you oh. you jibber jabbered for more than your fair share. <laughs> That's so sad. But did they did they give it a, another try? I think they're gonna try it this week and I'm trying to remember who it was. This week? So yeah. this is so the pressure's on. The pressure's on, man. Oh boy. Is it somebody we have to impress? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Should it is. I care? I don't know. You know, you know, <laughs> I kind do. of. You, you know, I always wonder if the bishop listens to this. Oh, God, help us all, dude! Uh, shout out to. And that's not blasphemy, really. God, please help us. If all, that's true. <laughs> dude, oh you you know who I bet listens to our podcast? Um, bishop Barron. <laughs> oh, good heavens! Dude, I just saw him a couple weeks ago. What if? What if somebody? We gave ran this into to each the... other in Krakow. You did? Yeah. He, did he you, kind of knew who I was. Did you knock him over? No, I said, hey, Bishop Baron. Dude, up? I still think that would be fun. I found fl- a Camp Boy one. He was like, oh, yes, Camp Boy one. Dude, I wish we could like um, like go and do our plan like we had where we're going to show up in his office and make him do the lanky guys with us. That's right. I forgot about it, that. It, we'd call it the word in Los Angeles. The word in the valley. The word in the valley. Yeah, dude. Hey, dude. Like This is like the valley here, man. Like We like... You know who you sound like? What's that? The uh, the girl Muppet from the Muppet. The, you know the band on the Muppets that, that Animal is a part of and like Dr. Uh-huh. Teeth? Oh, yeah. The Mayhem. The Electric Mayhem. You sound like the girl, the hippie girl from the Electric Mayhem. Hey, man. That's nice. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. That's Janice, really... I think is her name. Dude, you know what I, you know what I've realized? No. I really don't. There is a perduring spirit <laughs> of like hippie in Boulder. Like, yeah. Like, like there really is like a spirit of like like the muppets from the 70s. I think that the muppets That's so you could do worse than that. Dude, the muppets from the 70s were like super You <laughs> called them the muppies the first time and then <laughs> I was correcting 70s. myself. <laughs> mm. A shout out. I want to give a shout out. Um uh Angie Harder wants to give a shout out to Amira Davis. She is in um uh Seattle. Oh. Cuz Angie uh, just went to go uh, live with the Lars community. Which community? Large. It was founded aware. Uh, it's a religious community specifically centered around living the, with those who have special needs. Oh, that's very beautiful. Dude, it's like super It was the beautiful. way you were saying it. it it's not, I'm, I wasn't making fun of it. It was the way you, you said it. You didn't even was know weird. what it was, dude. No, but I know how you say things. I, <laughs> <laughs> it well, is. The 24th. Sunday. In ordinary. Time. Our first reading is, is from. Coming from Exodus. 32. 7. Through 11. And then jumping. To 13. Through. 14. Yeah. Let's not do this the whole time. <laughs> Please. Dude, we've never done that before. Oh, we have. We have? I'm sure in three and a half years we've done all of it. Are you? 
Okay. <laughs> the, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 51, verses 3 through 4, 13, 12 through 13, 17, and 19. And ironically enough, the responsorial itself is coming from Luke 15, verse 18, <laughs> believe it or not. Which Dude, is actually kind of cool that, that the church has done this. It really is cool, actually. So we'll talk about that later. Our uh, uh, reading de segundo, or trece, depending on how your um, counting goes. Trece. Oh, but I guess the church calls it segundo. They always call it the second reading. <sighs> well, you know why? Tell me. Because of the stair step analogy. Oh, yeah. We've talked about this. Uh-huh. So there's a responsorial psalm in between each of the readings. So from... The Old Testament reading, the first reading, to the second reading, we have the responsorial psalm, which we sing, which represented in the Old Testament the rising, the steps to the temple toward the sanctuary, in which you would sing psalms as you climbed up. So you have the Old Testament reading, we sing a psalm to go to the next step, and then between the second reading and the gospel, we sing the Alleluia, which is, of course, its own responsorial psalm. So we're taking the steps. So the the psalms in between the other three readings are considered stair steps. Dude, that's really cool. I totally forgot that. Yeah, it's neat. Wow. That's the quickest I've ever said it. Does that make sense? Um, no, not at all. So, but, but of course, the gospel is Jesus himself. So it's we're, it, we're literally approaching. I know. But we're climbing upward toward the incarnation. Jesus incarnate. Or, or the, what is in the Holy of Holies. God incarnate. And we're singing <laughs> a stairway to heaven. What is our second reading, Father Peter? Dude, it's the first of the Timothys. Followed by verses 12 through 17, located in the first chapter. That was complicated. Our <laughs> gospel is coming from chapter uh, the gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. All of chapter 15. <laughs> Dude, frankly. seriously, seriously, this is one serious reading. You better like... Put on your, uh, you better put your your orthotics in your shoes, dude. Well, it's the three stories of the lost and found. Three things are lost, three things are found. Dude. All of the same things. Lost and found. Lost and found. Dude, when what's been your best experience of a lost and found ever? Ever? Yeah. Do you remember your lost and founds? Dude, yeah. Oh, I mean, you don't mean like at school. You mean like something you lost. No, at school. Oh, I don't remember any of them. Dude, we have a lost and found at the church here. And Wait, did you say show and... I'm thinking show and tell. Show and tell. Lost and found. Lost and found. <laughs> my grandfather. I lost this shoe, my only dress shoe, for four and a half days. Where? A week ago. I still think the kids were hiding it. <laughs> Samuel earned two bucks for finding it. I got so desperate. <laughs> like, we emailed all the neighbors. We, I mean, I searched everywhere. I've never been so desperate to look for something. Because it's a like, nice pair of shoes. It's my only, like, decent pair. And then we, it was found under my dresser, which I moved out and back in a number of times, which it appears to have been stuck under there. And, like, every time I moved it out, it would go with the dresser. But I do secretly th- still think Samuel was hiding it to get the two bucks. Did he? I mean, how could he have predicted that the money was going to be involved? Because he knows me. He knows my desperation. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you've, you've paid him off in the past to help you find things? Well, just It's a reward. <laughs> that, that's a reward system. If you find such and such, then you get a reward. Dude, well, I'll tell you. My grandfather, um, when he... Uh, uh, left Virginia to go to Indiana, used to uh, be dressed out of the lost and found. Oh, that's he he, he, fair. 
he lived in a homeless way during high school, checked himself into high school so that he could get his degree. And uh, and then one of his science teachers uh, clothed him out of the lost and found when he kind of realized that he wore the same clothes every day. Wow. Was yeah. he poor? He was homeless. He ran. Oh, away he from, really was. He homeless. ran away from home. He ran away from home. Did you say that? Did I just miss that part? Yeah. Well, I said he left Virginia, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Like I thought he just moved. It. And he became a. Limo I mean, it sounded like he just. I'm moving to the, Indiana now. And, yeah, and he, and he got a job as a limo driver as a high school student, <laughs> and clothed himself out of the lost and found while he uh, like ended up at the end of his uh, high school ended up in the Mensa Society and helping found the subatomic particle project and got a full ride to uh to johns hopkins out of high school like this dude is like it's like one of those stories where it's like you could like you could actually like talk about it yeah so lost and found for my grandpa was kind of cool oh that is cool granddad granddad davis that's the that's the welsher side of the family Mm. Mm. well anyway (laughs) all right exodus exodus (laughs) Movement of the people. Come on, we haven't done it in like years. No, I know. That's why. I, did you not see my prompting face? I didn't. You did because you started singing. So let's talk about Exodus because um, like, you are you were kind of like, you excited. had that little gleam in your eye. Excited. I, um, yeah, no, I've been, I've been excited about this one. I'll see if it's merited. All right, Exodus 32. Let, let me just catch you up to where we are. Let me catch you up to where we are. This is that scene in Exodus, very famous, very famous scene. Um, so catch yourself. The the Israelites, you are a disaster with that mic over there. Dude, I need some M&Ms is what I need. <laughs> no, you don't. Don't eat on the mic. Oh, yeah. My brother. Everybody. <laughs> My brother. Oh, your brother's just the only one who has enough courage to, to call to tell me you. out. Yeah. Um, okay. Israel has been released from Egypt in slavery. They've gone out to the wilderness. Moses has climbed Mount Sinai to go get the law. As he's up there, remember, Israel gets freaked out. They're like, he's been gone too long. What happened to him? There's fire and smoke. In fairness, there is a cloud of smoke and fire and lightning at the top of the mountains. They're like, oh, man, this isn't good. They get freaked out. So what do they do? They build the golden calf, right? We know this story. Are you with me? Yep. MC, are you with me? I'm with you. All right. Oh, man, see, here's the thing. There's lots I would love to talk about because I was reading the context and there's some things that can that just flat out genuinely, genuinely confused me that I've never noticed before. And I wonder if we should talk about them. Let's talk. Okay, Exodus, right? So the golden calf. So we know the story, right? I just told it. You weren't paying attention, but the, the people were. So Moses is up on the mountain, right? People freaking out. Like, where did he go? Aaron. Aaron. That's the, that's the sound of lightning I, and I, fire. I got that. Aaron. Aaron. Build us a calf. Build us a golden calf. Build Here's us all a calf. of our riches. A couple things. Here's all. Remember, they which, say which, we which want... I talked about this before. They did sand casting. Unbelievable. I don't know where we're going here. <laughs> How did they make the golden calf? They melted it down and then they threw it into the sand to do a sand casting. They had the sculpted wet sand. We've not talked about this. Because this is in the desert. So you have to ask yourself the question. They couldn't really do lost wax. It's not like they had a bunch of wax sitting around. That's what I've been saying. And so they had to they had to wet the sand and then they poured the molten stuff. So that probably was like a it probably they probably did it in halves. How good of a calf do you think this was? Because I always picture like this beautiful <laughs> intricate. But now I'm thinking maybe it's like a preschooler's like Play-Doh cow. Yeah, like dude. how do you think? <laughs> I think it was pretty ghetto. Okay, but here's the thing. So in, in okay, a number of things. 
Um, what does it say? This is verse one. Is it still verse one? Yeah. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what to make of him. He's gone. And Aaron said, take off the rings of gold, which are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Bring me your gold and your riches. Um, there's a, a commentator I was reading this morning who points out most of us give up worship of God to go earn riches. Wow. These people are actually doing the opposite for the wrong reason, the wrong God. But they're actually sacrificing their riches and their wealth for the sake of wrong-headed, as it may be, worship, which is interesting. That's an interesting thing just to note. Yeah. Where the mindset of this ancient people is. They need something to follow. It's not the idea that we have as the... The, the very American, like, we are going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's all about us. We're going to do it ourselves. They need, even if it's not Moses or this God of Israel, we need something to guide us. There's got to be something greater than us. Here, all of our riches are well. It's just a very different mindset, isn't it? Yeah, very. So then here's where it gets it, weird, it, I it's, think. It's actually really hard to attune your mind to alternate cultural expression. It really expression. is. Because it makes them sound weird and, 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 and weak and foolish or something. But yeah. The, the intention, again, it's misguided, but the intention is right. We can't save ourselves is the idea, right? Right. And we can't, but too often we think we can. These people, even if they're wrong God, they know they can't save themselves. Um, yeah, so he makes this calf, blah, blah, blah. They fashion it. These, And he says, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It's interesting that he said he made a molten calf, one calf, out of all of their jewels, and then he says, plural, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then, here's where it gets real weird. Are you with me? I'm with you. Okay. Is verse 5. When Aaron saw this, not that he's surprised because he just did it, right? He built this calf. He saw the calf. He saw it. And then he made, a pro he built an altar. He made a proclamation. And he said, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. But he says to Yahweh, he uses the proper name of God. He builds a calf, builds an altar before the calf, and then he says, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. What the heck? Dude, it's like poly I've never noticed this before. I've never noticed that. That's like it's like polytheism. It's it's actually like it, It's either uh, to my mind, it's either polytheism or it's it and I read this in a commentary, and take it for what you will. Weird. The commentary was suggesting that Aaron sees what he has done, has this sort of moment of realization of like, oh no. And it's this sort of desperate last-ditch effort to try to turn the people back to the Lord. And this realization, like, I see what I have done. Oh, no, I have to try to bring them back. I, I don't know. I it's don't a, know what's going well, on. Well, I, it's I, fascinating. I feel it's like it's actually kind of cinematic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just imagine that moment. It's like, it's like, tomorrow will be a feast day unto the Lord, but tonight we dance. Oh, interesting. You know what it's I'm a fascinating scene, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Can you see? Can you see what I mean? Yeah, I know. I do. I do. I do. Like that. It feels like that when well, you it's say a, it. it's Augustine's uh, Lord give, give me, me purity, but not but yet. Not yet. <laughs> not today. Interesting. So I just I leave that out there for whatever it is. And then um, okay, so we fast forward to our reading, verse seven, a couple of verses later. Then the Lord says to Moses, who's up on the mountain receiving the law, doing what he's supposed to do. Get your butt down the hill for your people. <laughs> they, for your people, yeah. whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, yeah. have gone into the pit. Is that what that your translation says? It says, "Go down for your people, whom you whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves." Ooh, this says have become depraved. I like have gone down into the pit. 
If I was going to make a Bible translation, I'd say that. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> they have soon turned aside from what I pointed to them, making for themselves a molten calf. They're worshiping it. They're sacrificing. They're crying out. The crying out is a euphemism for bad things that they're doing. For um, the crying out is, uh, it's neither sounds of victory or defeat. Yeah. It's a crying we'll uh, just in that leave, way. We'll just leave that there. Uh, and they're, they're saying, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So it's an outright objective lie. These are your gods, O Israel, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Who brought you up out of the land of Which, Egypt. Which, here's the second irony. The first one is what Aaron says. The second irony is that, what are these gods? What is the calf? Well, it's one of the primary gods. It's Apis. It's one of the primary gods of Egypt. What has this god of Egypt done for them? Brought them out of Egypt. Why would the God of Egypt bring them out of Egypt? Mm, Do you see how even their logic is just, yeah. it's falling apart. Like your whole worldview is kind of crumbling right here. This God of Egypt has brought you out of Egypt and you're worshiping it because you're happy. Because why would it have done that? You know, it's just weird. Everything is just falling. It shows you how the mindset of idolatry, which you don't have to build a golden calf to fall into idolatry, to turn aside from the <laughs> Lord and to worship our own. Yeah. You know what I mean? No. But to show how foolish the logic of it actually is. Your iPhone didn't save you. You know what I mean? It doesn't give you joy. It doesn't hold you in existence. Whatever it is that we, we put all of our time and our effort into, your job is not does not make you happy. It's not who you are. You know, whatever it is. Sorry, you're my boss. My job is what makes me happy. <laughs> just get that out of the way. I'm, I'm glad you corrected yourself. <laughs> yes, I know. You're fired. Um, yeah, see how stiff-necked this people is. The Lord is saying to Moses, let me alone. Leave me alone, Moses. I just want to go and sulk. And I want my wrath to blaze up against them and consume them. And then I will make you singular, second person singular, you, Ms. I'll make you a great nation. Now, who did God promise to make a great nation? Uh, Abraham. Abraham. So, I mean, that's a very specific reference. Yeah, that's a that's like direct saying, like, I'm going to fulfill my promises, but I'm going to smoke these people first. But it's got it's not fulfilling his promises. Because it's, it's not given to Moses. It's given to Abraham. And this is where Moses goes back to God. He's like, no, that's not what the promise you made. You made a covenant that this was going to be your people, not just me. You made a promise to Abraham. I mean, that's got to be what he's thinking. You made a covenant with Abraham. You're God. You can't break a covenant. This is a big deal. You can't turn aside from this. We're family. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so here's what here's what I found fascinating. I did a little bit of digging. I read some rabbinical commentaries, some ancient rabbis, if you will. And I got really excited about it. So, okay, this is this moment when... Moses is shown to be a, a holy, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, the, uh, inter intercessor. He's intercessing, right? Yeah. Interce interceding. <laughs> Intercessoring. Intercessoring. He's interceding for the people. He's praying on their behalf. And God says, I'm going to destroy this people. I'm done with them. I'm out of here. I'll stick with you, but this people I'm done with. And he's like, no, you don't break your promise. This is who you are. You're God. And basically, I'm not leaving without them. I'm with them. So, there are three moments. So the, the, the two major patriarchs who come before Moses are Abraham and Noah. There's other patriarchs. There's Isaac and Jacob and the rest. But really, the, the, the three big, most important figures as the Bible gets going are, well, Adam, of course. But then Noah, Abraham, and Moses. And they're the three who God makes covenants with, right? Yeah, Noah, I mean, Abraham, and Moses. Yeah, I mean, Abraham, the, the man of the sheep. Noah, the uh -huh. man of the boat, and yeah. Moses, the man of the hill. Not the other sheep. Moses, the man of the sheep, too. 
Yeah, dude, that's true. Saying. Oh yeah, okay. dude, that's a sheep man. So here's what the here's what the ancients saw. Okay. Each of those three individuals, Noah, Abraham, and Moses. Yep. They all come to this moment with God where God gets mad and wants to destroy everything. Absolutely. And all, all three of them. And, and they all have to actually learn how to step up. Okay. So let's go through them. So Noah. God gets God's rightly so, he's mad at the whole world and he's going to destroy it. What is Noah's concern? Noah's concern, rightly or wrongly, you know, it's fine. Family. His concern is his family. How do we stay safe? How do we get protected? How are we spared? And that's okay. But his thought doesn't seem to go beyond that. We're told that Moses or Noah walked with God. But Moses, later on, we're told, walked before God, which the rabbis made a big deal about that, how Noah is kind of more passive. Moses is acting on his relationship. Take that for what you will. Hmm. So you have Mo- Noah. God's going to destroy everything. Right. Noah's concerned about his family. Okay, fair enough. Then you have Abraham. What does God want to destroy in the time of Abraham? Uh, Abraham have many sons. Nope. And I mean, yes, he did. What does God want to destroy, though? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And so I Ab- had to sing the song to get there. Is that in the song? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. They were pretty sons. bad. Yeah, so Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, this is where Abraham is shown to be an intercessor, right? And so it's the whole thing, he's like, well, what if there's 30 righteous people? What if there's 20 righteous people? What if there's 10 righteous people? Will you spare it then? Yeah. But what is he doing? Think about it. Abraham is interceding on behalf of the righteous people. If you can find righteous people, will you spare it then? And he stops at 10. He's interceding for the righteous. What is Moses doing? Moses is not interceding for the righteous. He's interceding for the sinners. Do you see the juxtaposition Ooh, there? Oh, yeah. Abraham's concerned, well, what if we find good people? Moses is like, no, they're all terrible. Moses also doesn't stop at 10. He oh. goes all the way to zero. He says, there are none who are holy. None of us are faithful. There is zero, but you are faithful. And so in the same way, Abraham Dude, the, is calling on God's righteousness. Moses is calling on God's mercy. Dude, that's the link between all these readings. I know. Isn't that cool, though? It's so cool. But not only that, it's not just that Moses is not only calling in his mercy, his righteousness and his mercy. It's not only that he's interceding for the sinners, not just the righteous. It's not only that he's taking it down from 10 to absolutely zero, but he takes it the next step further and he puts himself in with them. It's no longer a they like it was with Abraham. It's now an us. And Moses is the only one who didn't commit that sin. Yet he is us. And it's he, a we. I take on the identity of my sinful people. Dude, this is really, really powerful what you're saying. Because like, as I... And it's the rabbis. I mean, that's what kind of blew me away. Like, they saw this and picked it out. Well, that's why Moses is actually held in the transfiguration. It's not Abraham and Elijah or somebody else. It's Moses and Elijah because they... I mean, even yeah. the golden calf. The golden calf gets... The incident... The sin of the golden calf, which is often called the second fall, gets way more ink in the Bible than the fall, than original sin. Mm. Because for the rabbis, for the ancients, it, it original sin the rabbis actually saw as a little bit more abstract. You know, there's a lot of imagery and things going on here. It's, it's very strange. The golden calf is clear as a bell. You know exactly what they did. And it's a whole of Israel. You can't just blame it on one or two people. It's us. And Moses, again, puts himself in the us, which, which trumps everything. Again, the way that it um, prefigures Jesus, who takes the one who didn't sin, takes on the identity and the punishment of the sinners. 
It's precisely what Moses does. Well, th- th- this is there's two movements here that are so powerful. The first one is precisely what you're talking about there. The identification of Moses with his people in an intercessory capacity, recognizing that he's liable to the judgment of his people along with himself, yes. and saying that this is actually the, the truth. But in that, casting himself and having a penetrating insight into the truth of who God is, yeah. that, that, that while we were yet sinners, yes. God still wants to actually manifest his mercy yes before like like we, yes. we oftentimes what we see and and we're like I think that's honestly part of the job of yeah. what what our podcast is is to to demythologize how the ancient wrathful God people yes. perceive how it, it's Marcionism yes that, that, that in fact the, the Old Testament and the New Testament have nothing to do with each other is sure. that Marcionism mm, uh, no but that's okay. okay. Check this out. Can I, I just forgot. I just remembered this, but it goes along exactly. You just forgot what, it or do you remember I it? I remembered it, but you, it goes along with what you're saying. Okay. Here's the other thing the rabbis say. Check this out. <laughs> what if, what if Abraham had kept going after 10? What if he'd kept dropping the number and what if he'd changed it from the righteous to the sinners as well? What if he had interceded for more than what he thought possible? Could Sodom and Gomorrah have been spared? I mean, we don't know the answer to that question, but isn't it kind of a fascinating reflection? What if his intercession hadn't been so limited? Wow. But he interceded for the sinners in that town. He dropped it from 10 to everybody. What if, what if nobody's faithful, Lord? What if I actually try to take on some of that? What if I intercede and take that on? And they're sinners, and we admit that, and we acknowledge that, and we bring it before your mercy. I don't know. I mean, we don't know the answer to that, but isn't that a fascinating question? Well, yeah, this, this is the thing is that the nature of God is simple and never changes. Uh-huh. So we, we actually can speculate in a truthful way to yes. say that, that like even there, God wants to actually yes. provide mercy. And like, this is the thing is that, is that, um, what, who is the biggest resident that we know in Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot. Lot and his wife. Mm. And this is actually, this is the thing is that, is that, Did Abraham even want to identify with Lot? Probably not. Would you? Did he stop with Did he stop with ten because that was actually the full retinue of people engaged in family? Did he Mm. say like Lord, will you spare this for family? Interesting. And so why Jesus comes back and says, "Unless you hate mother and father, you cannot be my disciple." That, in a certain sense, saying like saying that that you your your vision of what the world is and your unity with the rest of humanity is something that it yeah. is is actually paramount beyond just familial relationship and yes. that that your intercessory capacity and that's why maybe yes. that that why they tell priests all the time like they say everybody who resides in your parish is your parishioner and is your responsibility every every 30,000 undergrad and grad student that goes to the university and the staff and the faculty and administration everybody who lives within these parish boundaries who does business and works here is my responsibility and, and my and, and and my authority resides for them and you are supposed to speak about them as an us right it is we it is my family it is our community it is our parish not they them i mean that that's the thing i take from moses dude and th- that's funny and what's helped get me insight into that is my brother's obsession with city flags <laughs> is that there that there, there is a graphical identification with a civic reality 
like mm. like as if as if as if we're not participants in the civic reality like yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes like yeah. you can start to feeling alienated as, as a catholic from i mean it's it's like we're citizens of heaven yes yes we are and, and but we're strangers and sojourners in a land and so we can say oh i can just detach myself yes but in but in reality it's actually precisely the opposite that we're learning from moses today yes absolutely is, is that is that we are bound and bound to this civic reality and we must fight for it. And if anyone had reason to go against that reality, it's Moses. It's Moses. It would be so tempting. And God is telling him to. I mean, that's what, you know, one of the books I was reading this morning, the the chapter heading is, um, what is it? Something like, uh, it's worth reading. The chapter heading is... May thy will not be done. <laughs> but the, the the guts to actually do that? Did you? To get to the truth of what God is trying to teach, but to have the guts to actually go there? Like, no, that's not, that can't be right, Lord. Which, which gives us, a, this is the weirdest part. It gives us this little insight into what the dignity that God is calling us to is yes. is is, uh, is like so much more authority than we're even comfortable to engage. We shouldn't be comfortable with it, right? It, yes, it, but it, that's it. But but that's actually what we're what we're in. And that being said, that actually is, that authority that you're speaking about is what is articulated, I think, in Psalm 51. That is the responsorial psalm, right? Right. Have mercy on me, O God, in your kindness, which should just as easily be have mercy on us, O God, in your kindness. Moses, and I'm actually even more explicitly thinking about Isaiah, right? Oh, Isaiah, who it, it, maybe even more explicitly than Moses does. Remember when Isaiah is before the throne of God yeah. in that he's caught up in that vision? Um, Isaiah is probably one of the most holy, righteous people of his time. I'm a man of unclean lips and a man... And a- I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people. But you could almost, I almost grammatically wonder if what he's actually saying is, I am a man of unclean lips because I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My association makes me take on that corporate identity. Mm. Therefore, the psalmist can say, even if he's Moses and has not committed that sin, have mercy on me because I stand in the place of these people. I mean, who is going to stand in the place of the campus of the University of Colorado and present that sin before God. They're not going to confess those things. Could it be that we're actually called with authority to stand before God and ask for mercy in our own persons, with our own voices, and ask for mercy on this town, on this place, on this culture, on this political structure, whatever it is. You know what I mean? But to really take that, that's what Isaiah does. And this this is actually the weirdest. Gosh, you take you take this. I have to jump for a second to Jesus and to, to this parable uh, uh, that we have from Luke. Which is where the response itself comes from in Absolutely. our psalm. I will rise and go to my father. Because that's the only way what the psalmist is challenging us with is possible. And Have mercy and, on me, God. How will, I, how will I ask for that mercy? Well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to him. Dude, this is this is actually precisely an insight. Like, he, here's the wild part: Jesus Christ identifies himself with sinners. That, that I, it's the prodigal son this way, this week, by the, the way. The prodigal son. Um, but this is this is the thing: is that Jesus is what is he always saying? I'm going to go to my father's house. Yeah. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to go to my father. Mm. That in fact, that what is what what Jesus is doing is saying, I am first prodigal. Mm. I am identified with you. 
Right. I am a not of sin, but not I am because I've sinned, but not because yes. I've sinned, but I am going to go and I'm, and, and then, and I'm going to go and I am finding myself in a land of pure exile. I'm God. And yet I find myself in a place where, where I am, I like, I am so identified with you. This is Philippians. This is Philippians, what, two, the canonic hymn. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not deem equality with God something Rather, to grasp for He emptied, emptied himself, himself and took the form of a slave. Became a prodigal. He took the form of a slave. <clears throat> yes. And what was the slave doing? His feet, like just doing totally what he was not supposed mm. to be doing. Yep. And he goes on our behalf. And that's actually the wild part about what it is to be a Christian is that we're, we're not called to just merely say, I'm going to take this on now. Yes. I'm going to take on all the sins of all the people within this. No, I'm going to go to Jesus Christ who is taken on all of these sins and I'm going to bind myself to him and I'm going to actually join in his intercession. Yes. Which yes. is which is such a subtle distinction, but it is it is the most important distinction. Which is I think what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy. Isn't he as he's writing this pastoral letter to Timothy? Mm. Beloved in in the midst of the congregation. He's right? considered me trustworthy in appointing me to the ministry. I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and arrogant, and I've been mercifully treated. Now, he's not standing in the place of somebody else's sin. He's just coming to grips with his own sin. Right. But his coming to grips with his own sin is actually what? Given him authority. It's given him access to the authority that all Christians are given. Well, but it's hard to grasp and access that authority unless we recognize our sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people whom we come from. Right. Then you can begin to move forward in the midst of that mercy that the Father gives us and grab the authority that Moses had. Absolutely. And that's what Paul is doing. He's like, I get it. That's why I can step forward in confidence because I know who I am and Mm. I know who God is and I know it's not about me. Yes. Therefore, I can be powerful. Right? Does yes. that make sense? I can step into the power of Jesus Christ and yeah, intercede, yeah. and yeah. all of my words are founded in him, yes. and for him, and through him. And therefore, my sin is not a detriment to that. It's not something no. people can throw at me. But what about all these things? What about all this? That's why the church, the Catholic Church, has never been that uncomfortable with all of our sin. We've had popes that are jerks. We've had bishops be terrible. We've had priests who are lousy and sinful and done all sorts of things. The church doesn't really, I mean, we care about it to the extent that we want souls to be forgiven, but it's never been a detriment to who we are because we're like, yeah, we're sinners. That's why we are here. And Jesus has has taken and said uh, uh, all of this intercession and has, has allowed holy souls of all time to open their hearts in intercession to be able to to rescue us and right. the, as 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 the forerunners as the forebears of the deepest truth of what what is actually the reality of that Jesus is the prodigal son yes and he goes to the father and the father clothes him gives him authority does all of this and with with a view to say you know what there's a lot of prodigals out there and 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 like but, but yet Jesus Christ has first entered into that reality. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about the Gospels. I'm thinking about these three lost and found stories. You got the, the sheep, the lost sheep, right? 99, the lost loses the one. Losing the one, 99. And I'd love to, I mean, I'd love to give a talk on each of these. Yes. But I won't. Um, the coin that's lost, the woman who looks ten, for it, and then the prodigal coins, son. Cleans the whole place. I'm trying to associate it back. I see it in Jesus. I'm trying to put it back in Moses and Israel. Is Israel is Israel this lost sheep? Hmm. Is Moses 
the shepherd who goes looking for him. I mean, Jesus is ultimately, right? Right. What's the prefigurement, though? Where do we, how, do we, how do we get there? Is Moses the woman who lost her coin? I mean, this is the thing. Maybe let's just go with the coin story for a minute. Or the, the lost sheep is fine. So the lost sheep, right, he's uh, the, the shepherd lost. He has 99 perfectly good sheep. He lost one. You should cut your losses, right? You have 99 sheep. You're just going to leave them in the wilderness for the sake of this one sheep? God, okay, I'm, I'm just thinking of this on the spot, so we'll see if this comes out right. God has lots of children. God has lots of nations that are his own. He's chosen Israel for a particular purpose, but you can see the the ease of a God who might want to say, well, this one, this people, this Israel, they're not even that significant. They're not that big. They don't have any power. They're not very influential. They're totally blowing it. Maybe I should move on to a different people to be my chosen ones. Maybe I should just, I mean, they're all the human beings of the earth, all the nations of the world. Israel just keeps blowing it. Forget about them. Let's move on to somebody else. They can be the light of the world. But God in his, in his holy foolishness or seeming foolishness goes after the last people on earth, the just the most stubborn, idiotic, wandering, lost sheep who keep, you know, it's like the sheep that you keep bringing them back and it keeps wandering back off. And you want to be like, just cut your losses, move on to somebody else. Slaughter it and eat it. <laughs> Yikes. That just got real. Yeah. But he's like, no, I'm going to keep going after them. And, you, and you're tempted to think, well, gosh, does God not care about the Egyptians? Does God not care about Assyria or Babylon or all of these? What about these other peoples of the earth? Does God just not care? He's been so much time on Israel. Well, he spent so much time on Israel, the lost one, so that not just because there's one that's lost, he's really concerned about them, but in the, in the plan of God and in the plan of salvation history, it's actually the one who keeps getting lost that is going to be the one who saves the others. It's the one who's lost, the one who's least likely, the smallest, loserist-ish, um, most lost, most clumsy, you know, ugly duckling kind of a thing. Who is the one who's going to lead all of the other sheep back to the shepherd? Right. That's why he's going. It's not just because, well, I have to have my numbers match up, you know, at the end of the day, as I did at the beginning of the day. Yeah, I guess that's part of it. But God and his knowledge is not just... I can't lose one because then the books won't be kept right. It's that, no, this most insignificant sheep is going to lead the rest of the sheep back. I know it's the last one you'd expect to do that, but because of who I am and because of the authority I've given them, that's what they're going to do. The least influential nation on earth became the one out of which the savior of the world comes. I mean, you even think about Moses, who abandoned put down the river taken up then oh, yeah. he himself <laughs> killed killed and ran away mm. and and he was this talk about a lost sheep in the middle of all things he himself became yeah. a shepherd yeah and the, the lord actually had what did he do he went to the one lost sheep and he took him on his shoulders mm. and from that one lost one rescued all well, what does he do is more than that. He took the lost sheep, put him on his shoulders, and he made him a shepherd. Uh, yes. The sheep who is lost becomes the shepherd. Right. And the rabbis even talk about him that way. Moses spent the first part of his life shepherding sheep, spent the latter part of his life shepherding Israel. But and, the, the idea, that, that's a brilliant imagery. He took yeah. the lost sheep and he made him the shepherd. Right. That's amazing. It's precisely what you're like, what you're getting at, and which is so cool about these readings. And like, what a unique way I'm seeing all and of this. And what does it say about our sin? 
that keeps us from all of these things, that prevents us from feeling like we can be holy or be the people. I'm no Mother Teresa. She just got a canonized over the weekend, right? Well, I'm her. nothing like her. Therefore, yeah. I could never be a great saint. I could never do this because I have all these problems and I've got all this stuff and this baggage, right? Yeah, like the John Muir song says, I could have been a saint, but I drank too much paint. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, could it be that the prodigal son is one of the greatest of the saints in heaven? That guy. I mean, who's the prodigal son? He's a parable. I get it. But then you got something like St. Paul. He's a pretty prodigal sheep. Right. Wait, prodigal sheep? Am I mixing my metaphors? No, no dude. My it, it totally makes sense you know at what this I'm saying? point. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. pretty bad. He's, He's a prodigal sheep, rotten. dude. Augustine, pretty rotten. Like the worst, the worst sinners tend to be the greatest saints. The worst sinners tend to be the greatest saints because they sin with gusto. And when they repent, they repent with gusto. Bishop, which is, which a bishop is I knew Psalm used to 51. Say, yeah, that actually is. A bishop I knew used to say, so if you're going to sin, sin with gusto. Dude. So you can come back with gusto. That sounds like, yeah. sounds like Carroll yes. University. That's close enough. Yeah, so much more we could say about these, but I think that's I mean, the big one. Like I'm kind of elated and I don't want to ruin the, I don't want to ruin it either. I read the ruin the vibe. You guys, seriously, thank you for tuning in and for um you know, I think the people who listen to our podcast are the lost sheep. Oh man. I think they are. I think that I think that they come here to be with us because Scott, both you and I are our lost sheep, but I think the Lord has called us into some shepherding. And but like, they're the ones who want to be found. That's exactly There's it. something about a lost sheep who want... I'm a lost sheep, but I wa- at least I know enough to know I want to find the shepherd. Right. You know? Yeah. Does that make any sense? Uh-huh. Oh. And, and it, the, the, yeah. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Censor, <laughs> <laughs> censor, censor. We will see you next week. Okay. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.